This episode of Motley Fool Industry Focus Financials is brought to you by Casper, a sleep brand that continues to revolutionize its line of products to create an exceptionally comfortable sleep experience one night at a time. Get $50 off select mattresses by visiting casper.com slash fool and using promo code fool at checkout. Welcome to Industry Focus Financials, uh, the show that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's Monday, September the 10th, and I'm your host, Shannon Jones. On today's financial show, we'll be diving into the top performing large cap financial stocks of 2018 so far. And they're probably not the stocks you'd expect. Also, we'll chat about our top financial stock picks as well. I'm joined here by financials guru and all-around great guy, Matt Frankel, and I should also add certified financial planner, Matt Frankel. Matt, how are you? Very good. Thanks for that excellent intro. (laughs) I'm working on it just for you, Matt. (laughs) All right, Matt. So, before we dive into uh, the specific stocks, we should probably start off by just talking about the performance of the overall financial sector in 2018 so far. And I mean, really, to be honest, it hasn't been that great, particularly when you consider the performance of 2016, 2017, and even things like tax reform and rising interest rates. So, what gives with the overall sector performance, Matt? Well, just to kind of run through the numbers real quick, um, just year-to-date, financials are up less than 2%. The S&P, meanwhile, is up about 8%. But this follows, like you said, a couple of years of really, really strong performance. In 2017, financials barely outperformed the market, but the market was up by 20%, so that's pretty good. Um, financials were probably the biggest beneficiary of the presidential election in 2016, especially um, kind of leading up to it. There was, a, there was a period in early 2016 where the financial sector was looking pretty terrible. It went up from there, and as soon as the election hit, financials just kind of went on a tear. So just to kind of put that in perspective, even though they've been a big underperformer this year and just barely matched the market last year, since the election, financials have outperformed the overall stock market by 7%. That's pretty good. The S&P is up by 35% since the election. Financials are up by 42%. So that's pretty good performance. So the catalysts that initially made the financial sector go up were the prospect of lower regulation as the Republicans took power, um, tax reform as Republicans took power, and as it actually happened, um, and the kind of trend toward rising interest rates, which generally translate to higher profits for banks. Um, As interest rates go up, bank loan rates tend to go up, and deposit rates go up at a slower rate, so it leads to better profit margins. So those three catalysts were what originally pushed the sector up, and now that they've actually happened, it's kind of we're kind of in a lull right now. Um, interest rates haven't really done what the margin expansion that we've hoped for. Um, if you've applied for a mortgage or a car loan lately, there really hasn't been a, a meaningful uptick in those loans, especially not comparable to how high the Federal Reserve has raised rates. Um, so the interest rate kind of margin expansion has been somewhat disappointing. Um, tax reform already happened, so that's already was already kind of priced in and the other one just regulation we got some bank deregulation but it didn't help the biggest names in the sector it was more aimed toward small and medium-sized banks and when you're looking at the index the financial sector index 
it's the big banks that largely drive that higher, and they weren't really a beneficiary of, of any regulatory reform we've seen so far anyway. So between those three things, that explains kind of why in 2016 to 2017, financial sectors were the best performer in the market and now are kind of you know in a lull after all of these things happened. Yeah, so definitely the word lull applies in this case. So let's actually uh, turn the tables a little bit and talk about those stocks that have really been outperformers. And I don't know about you, Matt, but when I went and looked at the stocks, these large cap stocks that have been outperforming the market, I was a bit surprised at what bubbled up to the top. Let's let's start with the first one. Uh, the first one is Morningstar, and that's ticker symbol M-O-R-N for our listeners. So, uh, many of our listeners and investors will recognize Morningstar as one of the many research firms out there that's dedicated to providing investors, um, investment banks, uh, asset managers, all the likes with a wide variety of data, research tools, uh, all of that for stock analysis. So, probably most well-known, though, for their five-star mutual fund rating system, um, I think comes to mind most when you think of Morningstar. But, uh, Matt, were you at all surprised to see that Morningstar was a top performer? Well, yes and no. Um, Yes, because it's not a company we normally think of when we think of the best bank stocks and what's going to benefit from tax reform, deregulation, and what I just mentioned. But we're becoming much more of a data-driven sector. Investment decisions, recommendations, and that sort of thing. So from that perspective, it's not that surprising. It's They're more of a fintech company in, than a what you would traditionally think of as a financial stock, like a bank. Um, so I'm not terribly surprised. They had um, Morningstar actually derives their revenue in two key ways. They get license-based revenue from all pretty much everything that you just mentioned. Um, their mutual fund rating system, uh, all their research, the data that they produce. And they also get asset under management fees for their proprietary investment products. Um, they have their own mutual funds, for example. So Morningstar's biggest revenue driver has been the license-based portion of their business meaning that their database products and subscription products are selling much better this year than they were a year ago. Their um, license-based revenues up more than 10% year over year. So, yes, I was surprised in that the one leading the charge wasn't one of the banks that, say, benefited from deregulation. But when you think of how how well fintech as, as a whole has done over the past couple of years, it's not that surprising. Yeah, I have to agree there. I think you hit the the nail right on the head when it comes to the data that this company has. I mean, oftentimes, Morningstar is the one putting out uh, the analysis and the ratings, and I think sometimes get, gets lost in terms of an actual good investment. Um, even if you look over the past 10 years, this stock has actually been up more than 200%, which is pretty incredible, especially for it to be one of those that just kind of floats under the radar. Um, I will mention, too, and what's interesting is that there was a slight blip in terms of stock performance that happened in uh, late 2017. It was actually in part due to a Wall Street Journal uh, report that was put out about Morningstar's five-star mutual fund rating system, it basically um, brought out the point that the ratings weren't as good a predictor of future performance as one might expect. 
honestly not a huge surprise there. Um, of course, those ratings are looking at past performance. Um, but you did see the stock take a slight blip uh, as a result of that. Um, but you actually saw the stock recover quite nicely from that. And I think uh, the reason why is because Morningstar really has a tremendous amount of uh, brand power and brand recognition. Um, and as you mentioned, the data and the analysis that it provides is just kind of the extra icing on the cake for all of those um, analysts and fund managers that are using it. So, I mean, all in all, to see this as a top performer for 2018, surprising, but just like you said, not so surprising when you consider what it is doing. Yeah, and I definitely agree with you when you're saying their brand power. I mean, Morningstar is to mutual fund ratings as you know, Standard & Poor's is to stock indices. I mean, it's it's just kind of there's no bigger name in, in fund ratings out there. And like that's only one part of their business. But even so, that's definitely a big driver of their, their revenue. Absolutely. So, we've got a well-established business, well-known business with Morningstar. On the other side of the break, uh, we'll dive into our second stock. Um, it may be a little bit less on that end, but first... This episode of Motley Fool Industry Focus is brought to you by Casper. Casper is a sleep brand that continues to revolutionize its line of products to create an exceptionally comfortable sleep experience, one night at a time. Casper's mattresses are designed by humans for humans. The original Casper mattress combines multiple supportive memory foams for a quality sleep service with just the right sink and just the right bounce. Casper's breathable design helps you sleep cool and regulate your body temperature throughout the night. And they're not just a mattress company. Casper offers a wide variety of products to ensure an overall better sleep experience. Casper's mattresses are made in the USA, and buying Casper is easy. You can order online. It's delivered right to your door in a compact box. Free shipping and free returns to the U.S. and Canada. And considering we spend one-third of our lives on a mattress, it's so important to truly sleep on a mattress before committing. That's why Casper gives you 100 nights to try it out. That's right, a risk-free 100-day trial. Personally, I must admit, unboxing a Casper mattress is truly unmatched. The simplest and easiest mattress experience ever. But you don't have to take my word for it. Get $50 towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com slash full and using promo code full at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. That's $50 towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com slash full and using promo code full at checkout. All right, so let's turn our attention to the second stock we've got here, which is Credit Acceptance Corporation. That's ticker symbol CACC. Um, this company basically functions in the subprime auto lending space. Matt, this is a pretty interesting stock um, for a number of reasons. Uh, one, obviously, the performance. It's a top performer. But I still think there's a lot left to be desired with this stock. What can you tell us about this company? Well, subprime, any kind of subprime lending is a great business. One, in a booming economy like we're in right now. And two, if they get the numbers right. Um, it's really it's really tough to predict, you know, how many bad loans are going to pay, how many are going to default. But if you get it right, it can be a very profitable business. Um, subprime auto has really kind of exploded over the past few years. Um, I read a statistic before we recorded that uh, over more than one out of every four car loans right now are considered subprime or deep subprime. So there's a 
big and growing market for this. Not only that, people are spending a lot more on their cars these days. Um, the average uh, dollar dollar amount of a credit acceptance corp loan has gone up 34% since 2015. And the average term is longer by seven months, which means more interest income when, when customers pay on time. It also increases the risk of non-payment now that you're stretching loans out over a longer period of time and you're loaning more money. But so far, the results have been good. Um, credit acceptance publishes the percentage of loans they think they'll be able to collect for each period. And over the so far in 2018, they've exceeded the amount that they thought they would collect, which has been one of the big drivers of their, their stock performance. Um, loan volume has gone up tremendously. There's more people buying cars. 20% um, growth in just the number of loans. 35% growth in the dollar amount of loans just over the past year. So these have been big drivers. And while the economy is strong, unemployment's low, this could continue. But this is a stock that could get hammered if the economy goes the wrong way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think with Credit Acceptance Corporation, one of the things to to keep in mind is its business model is so much dependent upon where we're at in the credit cycle. Um, anytime you hear subprime lending in any sense, whether it be automobiles or housing, generally there's going to be a flag that should come up as an investor to say, okay, um, where are we at, number one, in the credit cycle? And then number two, um, is this company prepared in the event of a downturn in the credit cycle, as we know will happen at some point? Um, and I mean, Credit Acceptance Corporation does have a pretty unique business model. Basically, it partners with dealers by paying some upfront cash and then splits those future cash flows uh, with the company as the company recovers the advance plus some profit. And obviously, on the consumer side, when you think about consumer uh, subprime lending, as is usually the case, this usually means high financing charges and fees. So, uh, that for me is a flag, but also too. And looking at the company's overall asset quality, and this is something that I think will be a key area to watch, not just for this company, but really any company that is involved with lending. Um, so, you've seen the provision for credit losses steadily increase year over year for this particular company. Uh, in 2015, it was $41.5 million, jumped up to $90 million in 2015. And then in 2017 was 129 million. And this is all stemming from consumer loan performance. So, again, this will be a huge area to watch. Um, additionally, you've got collection rates on those loans um, down. There's even some investigations ongoing with this company. So, you've got the financial risk that you'll want to pay attention to with this particular stock, but also to the regulatory and the, the legal risk that comes with just being a subprime lender. Um, all in all, though, kind of surprised to see this as a top performer, but then again, not in terms of where we're at in the credit cycle. It, to me, credit acceptance kind of, this is my cautionary statement, credit acceptance kind of feels like one of those mortgage companies before the housing crisis where um, the market got bigger and bigger and bigger for subprime housing, like it's getting for subprime autos right now. High fees, uh, an uptick in in uh, charge-offs, but as long as the economy keeps going up and up, and people are spending more and more on cars, then it's looking fine. But as soon as the cycle turns, look out. So that's kind of what you're saying there. And 
it's, it's there's a lot of parallels between the subprime auto market right now and the subprime housing market about 12 years ago. So just buyer beware with this one. Exactly. Buyer beware. So let's turn our attention to the last of the top three high flyers, and that's uh, SVB Financial, ticker symbol SVB. Uh, this is the parent company for Silicon Valley Bank, which specializes in banking services to entrepreneurs and private equity firms. Um, Matt, this company, um, on the flip side from where we just came from, has really been able to outperform because it's really been firing on all cylinders. What can you tell us about that? Well, like you mentioned, they focus on private equity and entrepreneurs. Uh, private equity valuations have just been through, going through the roof over the past couple of years. That has fueled a lot of their gains. Um, they have a lot of venture capital funds. Um, they make a lot of private equity investments. So the valuations of those have just been going through the roof and driving their gains. Um, they were also a big beneficiary of the deregulation that I mentioned. Um, the, one of the key provisions of the deregulation that passed is that the threshold for what's considered to be a systematically important financial institution, or SIPI, which is kind of the too big to fail definition, was raised from $50 billion to $250 billion in assets. Well, SVB has $54 billion in assets. So now it doesn't have to worry about the excessive regulation that comes with being a huge financial financial institution. So that was a big um, beneficiary there. Um, interest rates have also panned out better for SVB than a lot of its peers. And the bank has just done a great job overall of becoming much more efficient, cutting costs, raising profitability, just to kind of throw some numbers out there. Uh, SVB is a return on assets of 1.75%. One percent is considered good for a bank, and this bank was at 1.04% a year ago. Return on equity, 20.8%. 10% is considered good, so they're generating more than twice the return on equity that is expected. And it's up almost over 700 basis points from a year ago. Um, the bank is operating right now at a 46% efficiency ratio. Most banks with a brick and mortar presence are, are happy to be under 60%. So they've just not only have, have perhaps private equity been going the right way, regulation has been going the right way for them, interest rates have panned out for them. And they're just, on top of that, they're doing a really good job of controlling expenses and becoming a more profitable and, and efficient institution over the past year or so. Absolutely. And really, all in all, this is just a really good time to be backing uh, many of the startups and funds investing uh, in the tech space uh, in, in general. Um, interestingly, one, one statistic, two-thirds of VC-backed tech and science companies that debuted in the public space this year were actually SVB clients. So, a very well-known, very popular um, backer for many of these startup company. So, you've got that going for the stock. But two, just like you mentioned, Matt, this is also just a really good bank. Uh, as you mentioned, they've been capitalizing on really all the key catalysts that have been driving uh, the sector forward. Um, and two, I think there's a lot more room for them to grow in the long term. Um, so, you've got a really solid bank capitalizing on those key sector catalysts, and business is booming. Um, I think in terms of the sector itself, Matt, we've gone through really three of the top performers. I'm curious to know, though, from your perspective, what is your top 
financial sector pick right now? If you had to pick one stock, would it be any of these three or would it be one that's maybe not included in this list? Out of the three, I would say SVB. But overall in the financial sector, I really have my eye on Goldman Sachs right now. Um, I love that they're just now starting to get into the consumer space. Um, The Marcus Lending Platform, a lot of you have probably seen ads for their loans. They're about to get into the credit card business with a partnership with Apple. I don't know of any better way to get into the credit card business than that. And they're doing this, which a lot of people aren't getting. They're doing this without having a legacy branch network like a Bank of America or JP Morgan Chase or any of those do. So it has an inherent cost advantage, excellent brand power, and tremendous potential to grow their consumer business. They want to do mortgages and uh, life insurance all kinds of financial products on top of what they're already doing. So I just think that the market's really underestimating the potential of Goldman's consumer banking. And it's still trading at one of the cheapest valuations of the big banks. So that's the one I have my eye on right now. That's a good one, Matt. Goldman Sachs. Um, I think for me, and I've said it here many times before, um, it really can't can't get off of this stock and just how well it it has done and continues to do. But for me, it really comes back to Square. Of course, that's ticker symbol SQ. Um, and many just view Square as a payments company. The thing I love about this company is that it's so much more than that, and really has the potential to become so much more than that. Um, the bank uh, will become a bank at some point, but Square Capital right now as a payments company um, is really investing in technology, and I think this is where it's really going to pay off for the stock in the long term and get it beyond just being a payments company. It's building a massive ecosystem, not just for consumers, but also for merchants. And what you're seeing is as they are branching out with Square Capital on the lending side for merchants, opens up a huge door on the consumer lending side, which I think uh, will be a tremendous growth runway for them. Um, Also, too, um, internationally, I mean, the U.S. market is pretty well saturated with many of these uh, payment tech companies. But internationally, I think, is really where you see the growth potential get enormous. And that's why you see competitors like PayPal and Venmo also beginning to dive into that space as well. But, I mean, just all in all, I feel like Square is a company that is growing and has tremendous growth opportunity on the other side as well. Yeah, definitely. I I will say that out of the five stocks we've talked about on this podcast today, Square is the only one that I own personally. So <laughs> I'm definitely with you on that recommendation. Well, you heard it here first, listeners. Square, top pick uh, from both of us here today. And that's it for this week's financial show. Just a couple of housekeeping notes. Um, One is, this is actually my last time hosting industry-focused financials. Uh, Very bittersweet for me, um, but awesome, because I'll actually be jumping over to the Wednesday Healthcare Industry Focus Show. Um, And as a result, this has opened up an awesome opportunity for industry-focused financials, where uh, Jason Moser, veteran full a huge financials stocks fan. Jason Moser will be joining everyone here beginning next week. So next Monday, be on the lookout for Jason's first show. Really excited for the ideas and the stocks that he'll be bringing to you. And uh, of course, too, I just want to say thanks to everyone for tuning in. And Matt, thank you for being so awesome. And uh, really, in many respects, Uh, expanding my mind in the wide, wide world of financial stocks. 
No, it's been a great time. Thank you for having me back so often. <laughs> Anytime. So as always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. This show is produced by Austin Morgan. For Matt Frankel, I'm Shannon Jones. Thanks for listening, and Fool on. Fool on.